so tonight we're continuing, as Matt said, through this Genesis series uh, that I have really, really been enjoying. I hope that you have also. Um, and tonight we're going to talk about uh, Abram. But before we get into that, I have a couple questions for you. Uh, the first is, do you ever feel like you're a victim to your circumstances? Like maybe uh, a victim to your upbringing or your past? Like, are there things about you that you would like to change, but it feels like at this point, it's just who you are and there's nothing that you can do about it. Uh, for instance, uh, as I think everyone in this room knows, uh, but if you don't surprise, uh, I, I have ADHD. ADHD is a weird thing that often just becomes this like catch all for a lot of, a lot of stuff. And at worst it gets used as like a get out of jail free card uh, to justify a range of choices that people make. Um, as a neurological disorder, ADHD touches pretty much every aspect of my life. Um, in some ways, it's a superpower. When, I, I, when I'm actually able to focus, I can hyper-focus and get into like a deep workflow uh, for long periods of, at a time. Uh, back when I was a web developer, uh, it was right around the time that I started getting treated for ADHD, and I would go into work, and I would sit down, and I would start coding websites. And then I would look up at the clock and 12 hours had gone by <laughs> and I'd never gotten up, never ate, never drank. I was just focused and zoned in. Um, I could wrap my head around a lot of disparate things pretty quickly. Uh, ADHD gives me a weird sense of humor uh, because I, I see connections where others don't. And uh, against the popular notion of what ADHD is, I actually have a really high attention to detail, sometimes frustratingly so. At the same time, there's a lot of downsides. Uh, I have the ability to hyperfocus, but controlling when I'm able to access that ability is very spotty. Uh, very, uh, see, this is, uh, this is such a perfect example. I know the, what the word is that I want to say in my head. My head and my uh, <laughs> mouth won't talk. Uh, moving on. Um, I have a million unfinished and incomplete thoughts in my head at all times. Uh, I often have trouble articulating what I'm thinking or, or how I'm feeling into coherent sentences. Um, sometimes for me, maintaining a conversation is exhausting. Uh, I also miss social cues that are apparently very obvious to other people. So I often end up taking people seriously when they're joking or I uh, joke with people when they're being serious. Uh, I easily miss when people are inviting me into a conversation and trying to like lead me into a conversation. Other times I don't know when to stop talking. Uh, Michaela could probably tell you several uh, more challenging things about my ADHD, uh, but perhaps the biggest challenge is how easily I can become overloaded uh, by my senses, particularly sound and touch. Um, I get overstimulated and overwhelmed when there's multiple sounds. Um, like if someone's listening to music in one room and I can hear a TV in a different room, especially if they're loud. Um, and I can only tolerate so much physical contact that I don't initiate, which is probably true for everyone. My threshold is just lower than your standard person. If there's such a thing as a standard person. Uh, so touch and sound. Neither of these things make parenting um, 
which is already very challenging, any easier. And one of the greatest sources of shame for me in my life currently is when I get overwhelmed with my kids and squelch their joy by the ways that I react to being overwhelmed by their enthusiasm and their love and their energy. Um, like it, it kills me. It kills me when I get annoyed or even yell at my kids in frustration because I'm overwhelmed by something completely innocent and, and wonderful and uh, their carefree expressions of childhood joy. Like the things that everyone wants to see their kids doing sometimes just completely overwhelm me, which again is probably true for everyone, but I just seem to have a lower threshold. I hate when I see my, uh, I see my kids' smiles melt to frowns or worse yet to fear. I'm instantly transported back to my childhood with my father being overwhelmed with me and my siblings. There were five of us, so it's kind of understandable, but just being overwhelmed at me and my siblings having a great time and the confusion and fear that I would feel when he would get overwhelmed. It's easy for me to feel like a victim of my neurodivergence. Like it's easy for me to feel stuck and helpless against it. Like it is what it is. Like there's nothing I can do. There is no cure. I guess I'm just destined. Sometimes I feel like I'm, I'm just destined to hurt my kids. Like I was hurt. It feels like something I'm just stuck in and it's become who I am now. I often find myself doing the same thing when it comes to patterns of sin in my life. Um, yeah, I have this addiction that I developed as a coping mechanism in my childhood because I experienced things that I couldn't handle or sure. I have trust issues, but that's because of the way that I was treated in the past. I'm aware of these issues, but they seem etched into my existence at this point. Can you relate to any of that? Are there parts of your life or, or habits or patterns of sin that you feel completely helpless to? Like they define who you are and you're completely out of your control. Like you're the victim of your circumstances or, or your ancestors or your past experiences. What is that? thing for you. I want you to hold on to whatever that is kind of in the back of your mind for a minute. Just keep it back there during the rest of what I'm about to say. And we're going to come back around to that. For now, I have another question for you. That's going to feel like a big shift, but just hang with me. Um, how do you think about time? When you think about all the time that's happened before your life, and everything that will happen after your lifetime, how do you conceptualize time? Chances are you think about time in one of two ways. First is that there's a, there was a point where everything began, time began, it will progress forward until a point where time will end. A clear stop and start that progresses forward. The other way you might think about time is similar. There's a point where time began and it will progress on forever for eternity infinitely. Clear starting point, no end. Either way, you probably conceptualize time as something that, that progresses linearly, right? Like from one second to the next, uh, year after year, century after century, always moving from past to future. Believe it or not, our modern conception of time is actually fairly new in the history of humanity. Ancient civilizations on every continent, I guess not Antarctica, but all the rest of them, uh, including the ancient Near East, which is the backdrop for the Bible, all ancient civilizations across the globe had a cyclical view of time for most of human history. They looked around and saw 
cycles everywhere. So it makes sense that they would think about time this way. Uh, they saw the daily cycle of the sun. They saw the monthly cycles of the moon. They saw the yearly cycles of the stars and the seasons, the planting, the, the growing and the harvest of agriculture. Cycles are sown deep into the fabric of uh, reality, at least the reality of life on this planet. So why should, why should time be any different? Uh, the Sumerian civilization, uh, which was perhaps the first human civilization ever, uh, it was the birthplace of writing and math and many of the other uh, innovations that we just take for granted today, um, was one such culture with a cyclical view of time. Sumerians believe that everything that's ever happened will happen again. You're born into and will die somewhere into a cycle of events that are already in motion and will repeat for eternity. What happened to your ancestors will happen to you at some point. What happened to you will eventually happen to your children or their children or their children as your progeny goes round and round this cycle of time. In other words, the moment that you are born, your life is already set in stone. You're just living a script that, that's already been written and there's, there's nothing you can do about it. There's, ne there's never anything new. What is always has been and always will be. You're a victim to this endless cycle of time. And it's out of this culture that our story about a guy named Abram takes place. Abram uh, will one day be named Abraham, which you probably have heard of. Uh, but when we first meet him, his name is Abram. Last week, we talked about Noah and the flood, um, Noah and the ark and the great flood. And after navigating the flood safely, Noah and his family emerges off the ark and they start repopulating the earth. 10 generations pass and we come to this guy named Abram. We're told very little, like shockingly little about Abram leading up to the story that we're going to read tonight. Uh, in fact, all we're told is who his father is, a guy named Terah. We're not told a particularly lot about him either. Um, we're told that Abram is married to a woman named Sarai uh, who cannot have children. That's it. That's all we know. Abram is this random nobody who has no future because he has no ability to produce uh, offspring and children. And if you didn't have any children, you had no future. That's all we're told about this guy. And then we get this short, abrupt, earth shattering, history altering scene. This is Genesis chapter 12 uh, verses one through three. All of a sudden out of nowhere, God starts talking to Abram. He says, leave your country, your family and your father's home for a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. It sounds really fluffy and wonderful and like unicorns and, and rainbows and like this sounds great to the point where uh, we don't notice that this is a completely ridiculous invitation. Leave your ancestry, leave your security, leave the script that's been written for you and go to this new land that I'll lead you to. God doesn't tell him what the land is, where he's going. There's no reason to think that Abraham has any idea what God is saying to him other than just go and I'll show you the land that you're supposed to go to. In this new land, 
from you and your barren wife, I'm going to make a great nation. I know you need to be able to have kids to become a great nation, but just trust me, like it's going to work out. Oh, and this new nation, uh, this new tribe that you'll be starting, this isn't like other tribes that exist, that, uh, that exist for their own preservation. This tribe won't be about conquering other people like every other tribe is out in the world. This tribe will exist to bless all other people on earth. God invites Abram to break the cycle of time and to go in a completely new direction to a completely new place to start a completely new tribe that will exist for a completely new purpose. And so what happens? We read at the beginning of verse four. So Abram went just as God said. Original people who were reading this originally would have like been floored by this. It is so, so easy for us to miss the profundity of what's happening here. Uh, Thomas Cahill, who is an American scholar, scholar and author who wrote this really incredible and very accessible book that I wanted to bring up here and brought with me and then forgot to bring up here because that's what happens in my brain. But it's this book called The Gifts of the Jews. And then it has this incredible subtitle, How a Tribe of Desert Nomads Changed the Way Everyone Thinks and Feels. And if you are at all interested in learning more about what's actually happening in the stories of the Old Testament, you should definitely check it out. He is very smart, but he writes very accessibly. It's only like 250 pages, goes through many stories in the Old Testament. Uh, It's wonderful. Anyway, of this decision of Abram, Thomas Cahill writes this. So Abram went, two of the boldest words in literature. They signal a complete departure from everything that has gone before in the long evolution of culture and sensibility. In just these two short words, we see a totally new idea emerging. Humans have a say in their lives. We see this new idea that we aren't stuck, that we don't have to helplessly repeat what's already happened. The future is unwritten and unset. Abram goes. He leaves his father's house, his father's land, his security. He leaves his past and his present and what is supposed to be his future. He steps out of the cycle. He goes off script. He steps into a new future, which is something that no one had done before. If they had done anything that they thought was new, they believed that it was just them repeating the past over and over and over again. No one had thought to step out in a completely new direction because they didn't believe that anyone could do that. They didn't believe that anyone could step out in a new direction toward a new future. Abram goes out to an unknown land to start a completely new kind of tribe, chasing an impossible promise of being a father of a huge nation with a a, a barren partner. He follows God and, and starts something completely new that ends up changing the course of history. He makes choices that thousands of years later, thousands of miles away results in you and I sitting here tonight. Isn't that wild? He proves that our lives aren't carved out in stone. Uh, 
they aren't carved out in stone for us ahead of time. They're not unchangeable and inevitable. He proves that the choices that we make matter and echo out into the future. In a time when people believe that your actions are predetermined by the endless cycles of time or the position of the stars when you were born or the whim of capricious gods, like we looked at a few weeks ago, scripture in Genesis and, and throughout uh, seems to continually shout, no, you have agency. You are not victims to fate. You're not victims uh, to other gods. What you do how you live matters. You get to make choices, uh, choices between good and evil, and the choices you make have consequences that ripple far out through time. Through these stories in Genesis that we've been looking at, God seems to consistently break in and show us that, that what we do matters. To teach us that our lives are not predetermined. That we are not victims to our circumstances. Again, we have agency and we, we can make choices that change lives and set trajectories for people who don't exist yet. We don't have to endlessly repeat the past. We can make choices that set in motion new directions that change the history of the world. A completely new thought at the time. None of us are victims to our past or our present or our unwritten futures. So listen, I'm probably not going to wake up one day and not have a neurological disorder. Like that's probably not on the table for me. I'm not expecting that to happen. It's probably a permanent feature of my life, but I don't have to be a helpless victim to it. I still get to make choices about how I, I, I navigate my life with it. I get to make choices about how I react to it and how I manage it, uh, whether I let it control me or, or hurt people I love or not. I get to make choices about whether I'm going to squash or join in on my kid's joy. Same with patterns, and si patterns of sin in my life. Regardless of the root cause, whether, whether caused by my own actions or, or things that have been done to me in, in the far past or recent history or some messy combination of things that I've done and things that have been done to me, I'm not a victim to it. God is in the business of making new things and making things new. He's in the business of redemption, of change, of healing, of restoring. I get to choose if I'm, if I'm going to let my sin define me and control me, or if I will let God's love and grace define and control me. And the same is true for you. The same is true for every single one of you sitting here tonight, every single person who's hearing my voice. I don't know what's going on in your life that you feel helpless against, but I hope that you hear through just this really quick, short little story uh, of Abraham's life, what I hope that you hear is that you are not stuck. You are not a victim to your circumstances, to your ancestry, to your past experiences, to your current dysfunctions. You have choices to make. You can change. You can grow. You can be freed. You can be redeemed. What you do, how you live, the choices you make are, are up to you and all of it matters. We can sit around feeling stuck, stuck in and victims to cycles of dysfunction. 
We can blame our parents or, or their parents or genetics or our past experiences or whatever. You get to choose what you're going to do with what you've been handed. Maybe God is calling you to be uh, what, who you wished that your parents had been able to be for you. Maybe God is calling you to be the one to step out, to break the cycle and move in a totally new direction. Someone has to do it. Someone is going to do it. Why not you? Would you pray with me? God, again, thank you for um, just how beautiful this, this book of Genesis is, this book that is so uh, easily misunderstood by us today. God, thank you for the profound beauty that can be found in these ancient stories that, that still illuminate who you are and who we are today. God, I pray that you would, that you would bring freedom to everyone who feels stuck, to everyone who feels a victim, to aspects of their life that they feel they have zero control over. God, I pray that you would remind us and empower us to see the choices that we do have and to be encouraged that the choices we make matter. Encouraged and challenged that the choices that we make matter for good or for bad. God, we know that what you want for every single one of us who follows you is, is life lived to the fullest, which does not include being stuck in, in patterns and cycles of dysfunction. I pray that you would give us all the courage to break those cycles and to have the courage to say that this ends here and now we go in a new direction. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.